Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully that it is. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. You've probably heard the expression, it's okay to not be okay. It's a succinct way to say that all of our feelings and emotions are valid and that we shouldn't feel the need to hide any negative ones underneath a smiley mask. And that's certainly a sentiment that we endorse. Yet at the same time, whenever we hear it's okay to not be okay, we find ourselves thinking, but it would be better to actually be okay. (laughs) It would be. Today's guest, Tara, lives with anxiety and what she calls medication-resistant depression. And over the years, Tara has learned to define and redefine and re-redefine what okay is for her and how everyone's okay is different and changes. Here is Tara giving her voice to depression. The concept of being okay first came up in our conversation with Tara while we were talking about therapy. When you think of therapists, you think laying on the couch and, you know, tell me about your childhood. And it's not like that at all. It's um, maybe talking about a situation that you're going through or simply checking in and saying, this is where my life is right now. Give me better tools to deal with this or am I doing it right? Sometimes you just need that reassurance or that... um, that validation that you're okay. And okay is different for everybody. Which made us wonder what okay looks like for Tara. I have days where okay for me looks like getting dressed, taking a shower, and eating several meals. Um, Okay for me may look like being social and going out with my daughter and doing something or... um, functioning, so to speak, and and cooking meals and being outside and doing something that would look normal to somebody else. And the days that wouldn't? And my not normal days may be um, laying in bed for eight hours. And that day, success may be that I decided to breathe that day, that I decided to stick around, um, Sometimes people will ask me, what do you do for a living? And I worked from home for a long time. And at this point, my full-time job is to stick around. That is my full-time job, is to work on sticking around, living, learning how to live normally for whatever my normal is. And that's going to look a lot different than anybody else's normal just because that is the nature of depression. The difference between those types of days might be obvious to someone with a backstage pass to Tara's life. 
But we wondered what the difference is internally, how they feel different versus look different. When I'm depressed, it is not something I enjoy at all. It is not something that, oh, I get to lay in bed all day and watch TV. It's more like all I can do today is lay in bed. All I can do today is maybe eat a meal. Maybe all I, all I will do today is let the dog out when she insists on being let out. Um, maybe all I do today is feel sorry for myself. On the bad days, I struggle with thoughts of, I am not functioning, this is not working, I am a burden, I am, why am I still here? I am not, is this even worth it? You know, the, the medications aren't working and I'm tired and I'm tired of being tired and um, I feel like a failure. I don't feel like I'm contributing. Mainly it's just, I'm tired. I'm tired. Because you're listening to this podcast, odds are good you know what kind of tired Tara's talking about. The kind no amount of sleep can touch. What we've come to call tired on a cellular level. And on the other end of Tara's mental health spectrum? The good days are, I'm really proud of myself. I got up today, I took a shower, I made a meal, and I'm... Those days, I am ecstatic to have those days. I want those days every day. Those good days are when I don't feel sorry for myself and I have that pride in myself of, okay, today it seems like the medication is working. It seems like I'm using the tools that I've been given to get to this place I am now, to get through those rough days. And at the top of Tara's list of things she can do to tipped the scales a bit in the direction of her good rather than rough days is one well worth considering. The first thing I do that I've learned to do is forgive myself. A lot of days that's not easy. You know, like I said, there are days when I feel like uh, I am just not living my best life and I could do better. But in reality, I'm doing the best I can, whatever that looks like that day. Um, I've, I've learned to be gentle with myself. I've learned that depression lies. It tells you what you don't want to hear. It tells you what you think you should believe but isn't the truth. Um, so the tools that I've really learned and the things that I are in my tool bag, so to speak, for self-care, um, number one, my therapist. I've been with her for... I, I think it's a decade, and she knows me, and she keeps telling me I'm so wise, I'm so wise, but there are days I don't feel very wise. Tara learned more about forgiving herself after a really hard time a few months ago when both her tools and her wisdom failed her. It happens. It culminated with her throwing a bowl. And I left the room and locked myself in the bathroom and... I didn't come out for an hour because I felt so bad, but I felt out of control. And a few days later, after not feeling that anger and that anxiety and that depression kind of dissipate in any way, it had welled up even more and I felt so overwhelmed and responsible. 
and like I was a burden and I was not helping any situation that I decided to go to the hospital. I was not myself. The tools that I had were not working. Um, the medication that I was on, I was in the middle of a withdrawal at the time and a change, and I didn't feel safe by myself. At the hospital, Tara was able to safely process her feeling. This wonderful nurse sat with me for about five hours and listened to me talk. And she wasn't a mental health worker. She wasn't... um, She was simply a person, simply somebody willing to sit with me and babysit me, so to speak, so that somebody knew I was safe. She said to me some of the most important words I've ever heard. She said... It is okay to be in a place where you are so overwhelmed and maybe so sad and so angry that you need to throw a bowl and feel okay about it because everybody gets angry. Everybody loses their mind, maybe just for a brief moment, and you have to be able to forgive yourself for that. And rather than feeling like I had done something horrible by throwing a bowl, I had done something pretty normal, and I had found a place where I couldn't contain it physically anymore, and I needed to throw a bowl in order to kind of physically manifest how I was feeling inside. And I truly believe that she saved me a lot of guilt, and she gave me another tool where I felt okay to use safe anger to get through those moments of depression and anxiety and feeling overwhelmed. That's another great example of how valuable being heard is. Being able to safely share what's going on in your mind and body. For a lot of people, when somebody approaches them and says, I'm depressed, there are a lot of people who, when they hear that and they think, oh my gosh, this person's going to ask me to fix it. And it may be a lot of people's intuition and desire to fix it. They may, that may be what they love to do. That may be their favorite thing, is fixing things. And depression is one of those things that you oftentimes can't fix with words. But sometimes it's just the small things like sitting with somebody and saying, I am here, I am listening. What you are feeling is valid. However you are feeling, that is how you feel, and it's okay to feel that way. While Tara's nurse had the experience, training, or instincts to say just what Tara needed to hear at the moment, the perfect words are not a requirement for support. In fact, Tara says sometimes no words are. Even if you sit there and say nothing, that is everything. It means that you accept them in the situation they are in. You may not understand that. You may not know what that feels like, but you accept that person. You accept what they're feeling and where they are at that moment. And you want them to stick around. You're willing to spend that time with them to show them that they are worthy of the attention you're giving them. Mm, They are worthy of the attention you're giving them. 
Oh, let that sink in for a second. That is everything. You don't, you don't have to know what to say. You don't have to be a mental health expert to know how to say, I'm here. We can talk. We can watch a movie as a distraction. We can go for a walk. But if you just want to sit here in silence and be alone with what you're dealing with without being alone, that's okay too. Tara feels that so deeply that when we asked what she'd choose if she had the power to make people understand just one thing about this topic, she answered, If I could have people understand anything about depression, anxiety, the need for mental health, behavioral health, um, medicine, or therapy, is that there is no shame in it. I don't expect everybody to understand what it's like to be depressed or for any, everybody to understand what to do in that moment when somebody says they're depressed. I think it's important to take the time to ask them what it's like for them. What does depression look like for them? What, are, what do they need? What can you do to help? And for a lot of people in those moments of depression and anxiety, it can simply be, sit with me. You may not know what to say, you may not know what to do, but if you sit with me through those moments where even I don't know what I need to do to get through those moments, I won't feel alone. And that's the most important thing for me personally is to never feel alone, never feel as if I don't belong or I'm not accepted. One impediment to understanding depression and anxiety is the fact people use both words pretty casually in all kinds of situations. So we asked Tara to define both terms from her perspective, starting with the distinction between being anxious about something and having anxiety. I think the difference for me is that when I'm anxious about a test or even in this situation where I'm anxious about talking to somebody about my depression and anxiety or anxious about a test result or something happening with my child or my husband, it's more of a worry. It's more of a, I have no control over this, but we're going to get through it because it's a temporary thing. When I am in the middle of an anxiety attack, it feels like it's never going to end and it can come in waves. And it feels, to me, it feels like I'm dying. My heart races I start sweating. Sometimes I literally get that feeling of the numbness all the way up to my jaw, and then I'm, I'm having a heart attack and I'm dying. And then it's, okay, now I can't breathe. My chest is tight. I'm hyperventilating. And I could be in the middle of driving. It can come on without warning. It can be in the middle of a store. But a lot of the times it's just out of nowhere, for no reason. And the same definitional question about depression. Just before Tara and I talked, I overheard someone at the grocery store say he was so depressed because he had tickets to a concert and it had been canceled because of COVID. In my experience, saying you're depressed because of a cancellation of a, of a concert, I'm not saying that that is not an accurate definition for that person. But for somebody with depression, I think saying they're depressed because of 
a concert being canceled is more I'm disappointed and sad. I'm let down. Being depressed about a concert is when you don't go because you are depressed. You don't go because that day you are not functioning or something has led you to feel like I'm not worthy of going to that concert or I'm not going to go to that concert because I've done something and I'm just, I'm so overwhelmed with dealing with that. I can't physically enjoy going to this event. Remember when Tara's inability to function led her to go to the hospital? Well, out of that experience came the suggestion by her therapist that Tara try group therapy. And it has been the best thing I've done in my entire time of receiving mental health care. It has been it has been eye-opening to hear other people's stories, to hear the similarities between my story and theirs, to learn what works for them that I hadn't thought of. Um, and the, the one thing that we've been working on in group therapy is cognitive behavioral, ther- behavioral therapy, which is the, the learning how to rethink and reframe your thoughts. A question posed in the group is reframing Tara's thoughts. It's given her hope and opened up her mind to a possibility she says she'd never really considered. Um, The question she posed was, if you didn't have depression, what would your life look like? What would that encompass? What would you do? And the entire time that I've been depressed, nobody ever asked me that. And I was never in a place to think of that to feel that I would ever be in that place, to consider what I would do if my life were not, if depression were not part of my life. And I'm struggling with that. That's a reality I never thought would exist in my, in my entire lifetime. I thought that this was it. This is how I was going to live, was with medication-resistant depression, with therapy kind of working, But I had never had the tools to reframe my thoughts. I had never had the tools to consider why I was thinking those things, where those core beliefs came from. And to now try to piece together what a future without depression would look like. And that I can still have that future while having depression. It may not be every day, but there are days where I can have what that future could look like. That's been incredibly eye-opening for me. It's full of possibilities. Tara's daily life is about to change in a major way as she and her husband become empty nesters with no children living at home with them. And I'm going to have this time to figure out what is going to make me happy, what, how I want to contribute to the rest of my life, how I want to be an active participant in my own life. It's something I had never considered, and so I'm making this list of What are the things that I would really enjoy doing, even if I'm not able to do them on every day, on a a bad day, or even on a good day right now? What would I want to do? And I'm still making that list. (sighs) Those are such powerful questions to ask ourselves, right? 
and how empowering to own that maybe we can reclaim some of that uh, viv and and empowerment to to actually craft a life that we're more proud of or more um, that that's more juicy that actually helps to bring us back to life. Mm-hmm. I'm just stuck on that phrase you just said. I, I want to be an active participant in my own life. I'm, I'm looking at the words in the script and just sort of shaking my head here. Yeah, I know. I was expecting her to fill in the blank with some cause or some mission, but the fact that she turned it around to mission number one, you know, how do I manifest a life that better nourishes and serves me is... Um, Mission number one, it is. And I loved how in group therapy, one of the things that was most valuable was hearing that other people have similar experiences and how they manage them, which is what we're trying to do here, too, in in these shared stories, and Tara's now part of again. And I was thinking driving here, Bridget, that we both sort of bristle a bit at that. You are not alone. Uh, We agree with it, but we know that when we're in it, we don't feel that at all. And I was thinking that maybe it's better stated that while we all feel completely alone in our depression, that group therapy and hopefully this podcast and our online community allow us a sense of feeling alone together, if that even makes sense. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it does. It thins the veil between us and other. A quick update from Tara. When Tara was mentioning the possibilities and the list that she was compiling about them, having been challenged to realize she had more than perhaps she was allowing for, she wrote us an email the other day, and it says, As far as the possibilities, I got a part-time job. This is from Tara. I never thought I'd be well enough to go back to work, but I had to have faith that it was possible, so I took the leap. I have my own paycheck for the first time. I have chills as I read this. I have my own paycheck for the first time in a very long time. It's a good kind of different stress. Thank you for being one of my biggest fans. Beautiful. Beautiful. One foot in front of the other. That's what climbing out of the pit looks like. Mm. Tara also mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, and we are working on an episode uh, with a psychologist about that. He specializes in it. We've already done the interview, and I'll be putting that together for an upcoming episode soon. I'd like to close today's podcast with a quote by Oriah Mountain Dreamer, a self-described Indian elder. Tara's insight to just sit with me reminded me of this quote. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own. Without moving to hide it, or fade it, or fix it. (laughs) How real are you willing to get, right? How real are you willing to let me be in your presence? Yep. Interesting. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Tara. And thank you all for listening. We hope that uh, these shared stories do make you feel a little less alone. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.